This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. Today we're talking about what your life depends on. And I don't know, uh, but every Easter, it just seems this week, as we are trying to focus on Holy Week, a lot of stuff begins to happen that just doesn't matter. Did anybody have a week like that? Things that we tend to focus on that have absolutely nothing to do with the week and can be a distraction. So uh, as the weather's warming up, I don't know if this happens at your home, but mice find their way into our home, uh, which means our house goes on the market every April. Uh, Amy tells me, hey, we got to sell the house. Why? I found a mouse. So uh, or we could just set a mouse trap. That'd be a, one another way to do it. And I tell her, never worry about it because the snakes are soon to follow, right? The snakes come after and we'll get them in the glue trap. But my son uh, was talking to me about math this week. And I've always taught my children as they were going through school, don't worry about math. It's, you're never going to use it. Uh, and the math teachers all cringe uh, with that. But uh, stressing over a math test. Like, I don't know what, what has hit your home this week, but in our home and with our family, we have stayed focused no matter what uh, comes against us. And I need you to know that the message today, what we're celebrating today, your life depends on it. Uh, this is a, a life, uh, life and death message. And uh, today we start as the angel declared to the women in Matthew 28, 6, he is not here He has risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. And today we celebrate the resurrected Jesus. A friend of mine last year sent me this picture uh, from the empty tomb in Israel, and it's the TripAdvisor post. And I don't know if you can tell that, but on TripAdvisor, the empty tomb has been given (laughs) 4.5 out of 5. And that's the very definition of a tough crowd. Uh, right there. I sent that to Travis Bronner yesterday, and he simply responded with, what else does a guy need to do <laughs> to impress you? And I heard a pastor years ago say, and I've been quoting it ever since, he said, if a man predicts his death and pulls it off, you should listen to whatever that man says. And today we celebrate the resurrected Jesus. 2,000 years later, I don't know what denomination you may be coming from today, but I love how John Ortberg points this out, and I like to share it every couple of Easter's. He says, 2,000 years later, Pentecostals are still shouting about it. And that was really hard for the Pentecostals to sit during that first song. I saw it. We started actually singing about dancing, and you were still sitting. That was hard for you. The Charismatics, they're still dancing about it. Baptists are still amening it. The Presbyterians are still studying it. The Episcopals are still toasting it. And the Catholics are still standing, kneeling, standing, kneeling uh, on this day. And today we celebrate that the tomb is empty. And I talked to a couple this week uh, who still had questions about the actual event of the resurrection. And maybe you have found your way here today with friends or family, and you still have questions like looking for proof, evidence of the resurrected Jesus. I want to encourage you to to find your way to this book uh, written by Lee Strobel. It's simply called The Case for Easter. It's uh, a quick read, but it's a powerful read. And I want to begin with some of the main points, three main points that he makes out of The Case for Easter as he begins with this. Scholars agree Jesus was dead. That's actually evidence because the swoon theory, which was floated for centuries, 
the idea that Jesus went unconscious on the cross, was laid in the tomb unconscious and came back too. And Lee Strobel says in his book, we have no record of anyone anywhere ever surviving a Roman crucifixion. Even according to the Journal of American Medical Association, clearly the weight of the evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Scholars agree that Jesus died. Here's, here's convincing evidence. Opponents of Jesus admitted the tomb was empty. Those who hated Jesus, those who put Jesus to death, had to do something with the fact that the tomb was empty. So we know Jesus died, and we know there's an empty tomb. We read in Matthew 28, 12 through 15, the scheme. You might call this a conspiracy theory. They had to come up with why the tomb was empty. One, to save the soldier's life that were guarding the tomb, but also to appease the governor. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Jesus died, scholars agree. The opponents of Jesus admitted the tomb was empty. They just had to come up with an answer for it. And then the last piece, eyewitnesses encountered the resurrected Jesus. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, for what I received, Paul says, I passed on to you as of first importance. So what he's saying is you got to get this. This is the gospel here. The first important, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Lee Strobel makes a fascinating observation on this particular text right here. He says, I went to a psychologist friend and asked, could it be possible that 500 people who claimed to see Jesus after he died, could it, is it possible that it was a hallucination? And listen to what this psychologist said. He said, hallucinations are an individual event. If 500 people have the same hallucination, that's a bigger miracle than the resurrection. <laughs> Scholars agree Jesus died on the cross. Opponents agreed that, that the tomb was empty and they had to come up with a reason for why. And eyewitnesses found the reason and it was in the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 17 and 18 we get our outline for today to see that, yes, your life depends on it, your marriage depends on it, your family depends on it. Everything we're doing here today depends on why we are here today. Paul says to the Corinthians, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. What I'm doing right now, it doesn't matter. Uh, preaching doesn't matter. You listening to a sermon doesn't matter. You worshiping doesn't matter. Your prayers don't matter. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, none of it matters. More than that, he goes on to say, you are still in your sins. You are still walking around dead men and dead women. And then verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Fallen asleep, they're the biblical word picture for death. Those who have died are lost forever. And, and, and it's, a, it's a special time every Easter. I always take today 
and try to text uh, or call those in our church, friends and family of those in our church who have lost loved ones in the past year. Because today's a difficult day. Today is a day where they're celebrating their first Easter without their loved one. It's a day of mixed emotions because they're here without their loved one. At the same time, they're celebrating life after death. They're celebrating victory over the grave. They're celebrating what Jesus said when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, they will live even though they die. And today, I want you to know your church family mourns with you. We mourn with you during this day as we celebrate the resurrected Jesus. So let's start with the first one. Your faith depends on it. And I, I want, even if you're not Baptist, let's, let's all do the word amen on this one right here. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, after I read it, this is our only responsive reading at Woodland Hills for the day, but you respond with amen. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Amen. Yes. And so our faith has purpose. Uh, our sins are forgiven, and there is life beyond the grave. But when we talk about our faith, Paul made several observations that are clear. He, he said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I think we, we can talk about the event of the resurrection, but sometimes followers of Jesus, we forget about the power that comes with it. And this is something we say over and over and over again all throughout the year at our church. We believe the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises your lifeless soul. We believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power available for you today to raise your dead marriage. It's the same power that's available to you today for those of you who have a dead relationship with your child or with your parent. For those of you who have drifted in your faith and you feel like your faith has, has been lost for a long, I want you to know it's the same power available for you today. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We read in Ephesians 1, 18 through 20, I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, opened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us. Every time I read this, I think about uh, my mentor, Dr. Gary Smalley. He used to say, whenever we're going through difficulties in life, whether it be on the job or in a relationship, and, and we think, we, we start to like work for our own power. And remember, he used to stand up here. If you were here when Gary was here 10 years ago, he would stand up here and go, you're going through a difficult relationship. Let me tell you what won't work. <sighs> Still tough at the end of that, right? Because my power doesn't cut it. We use the word power, but what do we really use? Control. We just think, if I can get control of this situation, and some of you today need to drop the control and cry out for the power. The power that's available because Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's an incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And that's been my prayer this week as I've been catching mice and talking about math. Uh, that those of you who feel powerless in your life would cry out today not, for your, not to get control because there's a lot out of your control. A lot of things we can't control. There's a lot we can't control. I've learned over the years you can't control people. Wouldn't life be a lot greater if you could control people? Stop it. Don't do that. I'd be happier if. Why don't you? Listen, let's drop the control and cry out for the same power that raised Christ from the dead that's available for us today. We, we believe for our faith. We share 
Our faith has purpose because of the resurrected Jesus. We live out our faith in five purposes for our life, five purposes for our church. It's the same. Worship this morning was just a small snapshot. I, I sat in the first service. Uh, it was very emotional. I got up after, and I'm just sitting there going, wow, what a time to worship. But you need to know worship, that purpose, is more than a day of the week. It's more than something we do in a building. It's more than music. It's offering our lives as living sacrifices, expressing our love to God. That's one of the purposes of our faith. Uh, fellowship. I love the purpose of fellowship. It's why we serve coffee at our church. We hope you get here early, get a cup of coffee, and fellowship with others. We hope during the week in Bible studies and through home groups, you're connecting with other people. If worship is expressing love to God, fellowship is enjoying you know, the love of one another, being loved and loving, celebrating and being celebrated, caring and being cared for. That's fellowship. Discipleship. Discipleship is becoming more like Christ. We take the words of Jesus and the teachings of Christ seriously at this church, and we want to be more like Christ. Ministry. You participated in ministry already this morning when you gave. That was, it's just one way that we meet needs in love. Uh, and we've been meeting needs as a church now for over 20 years. And our encouragement to you is all of this. It has purpose. Why? Because of the resurrected Jesus. And the last purpose, fifth purpose, evangelism. Declaring the good news of Jesus. And at the end of this service today, we're going to invite you to, to accept that good news and to step out with the 40 that are being baptized today and say, hey, I'm going to step into the water uh, making a public profession of my faith. Your faith depends on this day. Your forgiveness depends on it. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Some of you came in here today, and I'm telling you, I believe this is one of Satan's greatest lies that he likes to feed people today. There's a couple of them, but I believe this is one of the main ones. You're too far gone. You're too far gone. If I look back over your life, it's just too much. You've done too much wrong, and there's no way... You can be redeemed. I, I meet people all the time who, if they don't say it out loud, they express it in their emotions when they're talking to me, and they, they have this idea. They believe they are unredeemable, and we do not believe that at this church, and that is not what the Bible teaches. You are redeemed because of Jesus. What does the Scripture say in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You are not too far gone. Just like we believe your marriage is not too far gone. Your family is not too far gone. Why? You're like, well, it's dead. Well, guess what? You can't have a resurrection without a death. And we believe the same power that breathed life into Jesus is the same power that raises your life, your marriage, your family. That's one lie, that I'm too far gone. I think another lie is I'm not that bad. I told you this, I think, last year. I, I have a problem, like, comparing my physical health to the physical health of other people. And Amy says, that's a terrible strategy. Stop pointing to people that you think you're healthier than. Don't compare yourself to people and be like, well, I'm not going to work out today because I'm in better shape than he is. But that's a horrible way to measure your life. <laughs> but we do it all the time with our sin. Yeah, I know. I'm not perfect. But do you know about that guy? Do you know what she's done? If I compare my, stop comparing your life to others and start crying out to Jesus who cleanses us, who frees us from our sins. So your faith depends on it. Your forgiveness depends on it. 
And this one we can get excited about. Your future depends on it. There is hope beyond the grave. There's victory over the grave. I was studying in the last couple of weeks Stephen Hawking. Many of you might know that name, and those of you who enjoy studying science, you know he's a physicist and an author, and at the time of his death, uh, he was the director of research at the Center for Theoretical Cosmology at the University of Cambridge. And, and here are some of his thoughts. He says, there is no God. No one directs the universe. And then he says, I regard the brain as a computer that will, that which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. He passed away five years ago. When I read that, I, I, some of you might, might have that same thought, and I need to tell you, according to the Scripture, you are an image bearer of Almighty God. When I stand before a group like this, I, I always want to remind you, every single person in here, I don't have to ask, I don't have to question, I don't have to even know your story. Every single person in here is created in the image of God with automatic intrinsic value. You are not a computer that will one day turn off and be gone. You are an image bearer of Almighty God. Through creation, you're an image bearer. But as we'll see in a second, it's through salvation that you become a child of God. And there's a difference between being an image bearer and a child of God. Amy and I, a couple of weeks ago, uh, were in London, England. And I wanted to go to the Westminster Abbey. I've been there once before, about 10 years ago, and I wanted to go again. Uh, I wanted to see the Queen's grave. And... uh, it wasn't until after I was in there that I was told she's not buried there. And so you should really do your research before uh, you start uh, paying $27 a ticket to get into a church. Uh, I'm standing inside this big church going, man, they brought in hundred grand already and it ain't even noon. I was counting. There was a lot of people there. I was thinking about it for Easter, but I said, I, we probably shouldn't do that at Woodland Hills. But, uh, $27 big money. Uh, but I, so once I found out she wasn't there, and I'm, I'm just walking, and I mean, there are thousands of people. I don't know if you've been to Westminster, there are thousands of people. And I walk by uh, this of C.S. Lewis. Now, he's not buried there. He's buried at the Holy Trinity Church just outside of Oxford. But I stopped, and I had to Google, uh, like, because I, I never, I didn't know he was buried there. And I Google, and I'm like, oh, he's not buried there. And I'm like, man, I, I should get a map or something. I have no idea what's going on inside this church. Uh, <laughs> But at, his fifth, at the anniversary, 50th anniversary of his death, they placed this here at Poet's Corner. And I just want to read. It's kind of hard to read, I know, from that picture. But here's what it says. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And it was a moment for me as I'm standing there. I take the picture. I call Amy over. I'm Googling to be like, is he here? No, he's not here. Okay, so, uh, and I look across the way. And I see a lady kneeling down. This is only the second time in my life uh, when we visited Graceland. Uh, I just remember going by the grave of Elvis and just, I mean, people not crying. I would use the word sobbing, like mourning the death of Elvis. And that's the level of what I saw in this lady across the way. She was kneeling down in kind of like a prayer position. And she's very emotional. And well, obviously, I'm intrigued and I want to go over there, but I want to give her her space. And... Uh, I wait until I think she's wrapping up, but it was a little bit. I walk over there, and as I'm walking over there, 
uh, she, she leans down to the ground and kisses the ground like this. It's quite the moment she gets up then and leaves. And she was standing over the grave of Stephen Hawking. And, and it was just, so I, I mean, I'm, we're trying to walk and, and have our time in, in the city. And, and I'm Googling, trying to learn more about all of this. And it, it just, it stayed with me the day and honestly the rest of the week. I had a very clear picture at that moment with her emotional and leaning to the ground and kissing his tombstone. Of, it, was the, it was the picture of mourning without hope. Mourning without hope. Now, mourning is part of the human condition, so all of us mourn. All of us will mourn. But according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's only two ways to mourn. You either mourn with hope or you mourn without hope. And today, because of Jesus and the resurrected Jesus, when a loved one dies in Christ, we mourn with hope. We don't mourn as the rest of men mourn. So what do you do to try to deal with this sin problem? The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So those who say, okay, I believe in the resurrection. What am I to do with this? I understand that we are all sinners. I get that. What do I do with this? I'm going to just share with you five lines that we've kind of heard from people over like, what am I going to do with my sin problem? There are many in here that believe I'll fix it. That's what I'll do. We call this salvation by addition and salvation by subtraction. There are those who believe to be good with God, I'm just going to start doing a bunch of good stuff. I'm going to add good things to my life. And, and, and we believe, and I've heard this from believers, they say, at the end of my life, I hope the good Lord lets me in. And I'm going, I, I need to explain this to you again. It's not by your works that heaven is your home. Your works, they're the overflow of your salvation, not the source of it. So it's not about adding good things to your life, and it's not about subtracting things from your life. There are those who believe, you know, I say it every time I walk out of that establishment, getting in the Uber, going, I'll never do this again. God, would you, let me tell you, he will forgive you, but I need you to understand what you've done or what you promised you'll do in the future is not your salvation. You can't fix it. We hear this today. Well, I'll be good. I think we do this a lot. We compare our lives to the lives of other people. I'll be good, and I'm definitely better than that person there. You've heard it said that there are going to be some people in heaven that you meet, and you're going to be like, no way. you got to be kidding me. And there are going to be some people that see you. And they're like, no way. How did this happen? This, I think, is a big one in our culture today. Uh, I'm a loving person. That's what they're saying. Mm. I'm just, I'm loving. And, and we do this too. I'm more loving than that person. And there's some of you in here that you have Christians in your family that don't act all that loving. And you're like, I'm obviously more Christian than that guy. I'm obviously more Christian. It's not about the amount of love that you have that determines your salvation. Some of you say, I attend church. Now, I don't do a lot of cliche preaching, so this is it. This, I'm going to give you my one cliche line. 
Just because you stand in a garage doesn't mean you're a car. And just because I sit in a dugout doesn't mean I'm a player. And just because you sit in here today doesn't mean you're a Christian. Church attendance, goodness, no. How about this one? I give to charity. I, I, I give a lot of money to charity, just did taxes, Ted, and I was able to put that check or cash line in my itemized deductions. And It's not about that. All your goodness, effort, attendance, kindness, and love have absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. A clip we've shared here before, and I, I'm, I'm not going to share it today. I'm going to refer to it and encourage you to go home and watch it. I posted it this week, and I posted it several times throughout the year by a great preacher named Alistair Begg. And the, the, the video is two minutes and two seconds. It's called The Man on the Middle Cross. And I want to encourage you to go home and watch that. And, and just to give you a brief summary of it, the thief on the cross is in heaven. And He's met by an angel who asks the question, why should I let you in? And this thief's basically like, you know, he's kind of like, he's kind of shocked himself. And the, the, the you know, they, the, this angel goes, let me get my supervisor, angel. We got to figure some things out here before we let you in. But let's start right with scripture. Do you believe in the doctor, doctrine of justification by faith? And the guy goes, never heard of it. Walks through all of this. And, and you know, not to give the punchline away, but at the end, it's like, why should we let you in? And the thief says, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Great clip. Great understanding of the gospel. But you can't end there. I know we all like that, and then we start talking about the clip, but it's, it's what Alistair Begg says right after that that we need to understand. When you're asked about your salvation, and I'm asked about my salvation, when I start in the first person, I've automatically gone wrong. Right? We like to say, I, 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 I. But Pastor Begg says this, not I, but he. When asked about your salvation, it should always start in the third person. Because he. Because he. And he said, I can come. It is not about me. And maybe this is our theme as a church throughout the remainder of this year. I need you to, to, to know this today. You're not good enough to save yourself. At the same time, you're not too far gone for Jesus. Your marriage is not too far gone. Your family's not too far gone. On your worst day, you're not too far gone. And you're like, Ted, I want to be saved. What must I do to be saved? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not hopefully, like, just try it and see if it works. No, you will be saved. Declared righteous because of he, not me. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. For those of you who need prayer today, the prayer team's going to be down front. Uh, pa Pastor Rex is going to be standing out uh, by the baptismal and would like to invite you to go share with him. I'm going to step around the back and be outside as well. Would love to meet you there. I know a lot of churches have altar call calls where you come forward for salvation, but today we're inviting you out that way and over there. And uh, we would love to have you step into the water. Shea will baptize you 
today on this Easter Sunday. Would you pray with me? Father, today, as we are reminded of the gospel, as we are reminded that Jesus died and rose again, that this isn't just a message for one day of the year, uh, but this is our message year-round. And so today, we have come to the empty tomb. We see that it is empty. We know that the resurrected Jesus still saves today, and for that, we are grateful. For the one who's never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. For the believer in Christ right now who... uh, needs the power of the resurrection in their life, that today they would cry out for that, that they would seek that in every area of their life because our life depends on it, our faith depends on it, our forgiveness depends on it, and so does our future. We are grateful, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray it. Amen.